This podcast may contain disturbing content for some listeners. It's intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Every missing person's case I have followed recently has ended with the person being found safe. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Yeah, that's really, I, I really do like when that happens. Actually, the majority of missing person cases, the people are found safe. Yes, I would totally agree with that. And by that, I mean like somebody that's been reported missing. Right. They don't necessarily gain traction in some sort of mainstream media like craziness but the majority of people who are missing aren't missing for long and there's they're absolutely fine they're only missing from the person that reported them missing usually i i think i only have two true crime podcasts i still listen to one of them is uh the vanish they deal with like sort of longer term sometimes it's like within a year or two but for the most part longer term missing persons cases where they dig in and kind of they're interesting cases. And a lot of times I can identify an interesting case from sort of when it starts. Like for me, Gabby Petito was not a missing persons case. We talked about this recently. I, I knew the moment that case started unfolding that Gabby Petito was a murder victim. I don't know why I knew it. And I, I didn't necessarily know how it went down. I just knew because of those circumstances, I looked at it and I went, that person's not with us anymore. Right. And so I look at cases like that and I spent a lot of time researching like older serial killers and like serial killers. Like I've got one I'll send you after today. um, After we talk, it's this random reference to a serial killer I had never heard of. And you know how rare that is for me not to have heard of a Like this is like a case the FBI considers serial killing. Um, and I can't find any other reference to it anywhere. Uh, it's in this blurb and like, you know, like those little local papers that are like free. One of them has suddenly gone online and they've decided to put everything they have online. But the other podcast that I listen to is Hide and Seek. And uh, I like the guy who does uh, Hide and Seek. And he, he's pretty laid back podcaster i you know i don't get into the whole like advertise yourself thing although eventually i might but he's doing uh his third season he did nancy moyer and then he did logan schindelman and he does like a season on the case but the most recent one is this girl Brittany wallace who had gone missing and uh i'm really interested in what he does with this season because I'm in several social media groups that talk about this case constantly. And I find most of the participants that are tied to kind of tangentially tied to the case to be insane. Like, I think like anything could have happened to this person because all of the people around her, all of her family and friends, like 
they look like a suspect pool to me. They don't look like people trying to find this girl. But uh, Brittany Wallace cases, that, that one has greatly interested me recently. So I've, um, at some point, I'll send you links to that as well. We've been kind of stuck in this uh, Texas mode where we've been looking at these, I don't know, these murder for money is the, like the motive is ultimately money, but it doesn't necessarily always mean they get money. And I had one more down there that I wanted to cover that unfortunately is going to be in the court for a while because of uh, just uh, how it's going. Um, this is a, had, had you heard about this before I brought it up? No. When I looked at this, I, I noticed when I started talking to you about it, I thought there was, I was misspelling one of the names. I thought it was not covered that well, but now that I dig into it more, it, there were a lot of sources. And I was like, you know, we could go ahead and do an episode on that because of how much media was put out. There were a number of things that shocked me about this case. So uh, it comes from November 18th, uh, 2021, in the Cyprus, Cyprus area, literally the Westgate subdivision uh, in Harris County, Texas. This is going to be an area that we haven't really touched on that much, but it's an interesting area. And the victim there is a woman named Yuan Liang, and she was 46 years old when she died from a single gunshot wound to the head. Uh, You could find more information about her on Click to Houston, uh, Insider did a little piece on her. ABC 13 covered her. And then I found uh, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram also did a couple of pieces on her. Well, I'm going to start with the click to Houston to kind of give an overview of the case and then talk to you about it. Christopher Michael Collins, 41, was charged with the murder of his wife, Six days after she was found dead in the couple's Cyprus area home, detectives said that Yuan Liang died from a single gunshot wound to the head on November the 18th. And during a probable cause hearing, a prosecutor stated that investigators said Collins asked Harris County Sheriff's deputy to check on his wife at their house in the Westgate subdivision. Detectives said that Collins claimed while he was at the gym and grabbing a bite to eat, he received a text message from his wife. The text stated that someone was outside the residence, and the defendant stated he texted the complainant back, and she did not respond. Detectives said that Christopher Collins arrived at the house after deputies and let them in through the front door. The officer stated once the front door was open, the defendant stood in the doorway not moving for several seconds. Deputies said that Colin's wife was found shot to death in the living room and a cloth bag had been placed over her face. There were no signs of force entry into the home from inside and the officers observed the back door was unlocked and there were four dogs in the backyard. Investigators said there were no signs of a struggle in the home and nothing appeared to have been stolen. Detectives also noticed that the home was equipped with cameras that could be viewed remotely. The detectives then asked Collins if he checked the cameras after not being able to reach his wife, and the defendant stated no, and he did not know why he didn't check. He stated he didn't know why he didn't go straight home. He didn't know why he remained at the gym for 45 minutes. It was only 35 miles from his house. 
but investigators said Collins told them he was driving a rental car because his car had been repossessed. They asked if Collins and his wife had insurance and stated that he said he, they did not because they missed the payment. But officers who searched the home found a sheet of paper on the desk inside the residence, and the paper was for a life insurance policy for $250,000. The officer who found it stated the defendant and the complainant had signed the paper for life insurance on November the 16th, 2021. So that's 48 hours before this happens. They further stated that when, when investigators asked Collins if there was a gun in the house, he said there should be a 9mm handgun in the laundry room. He told detectives his wife bought the gun because he did not like them. Collins also told investigators there was no ammunition in the house, even though detectives later found a 22 caliber bullet in his pants. Uh, the medical examiner ruled Liang's cause of death to be a single gunshot wound to the head from a small caliber weapon, and she had no other injuries. The prosecutor stated that the medical examiner also reported that Liang was wearing a sleep mask when she was shot, and the brown bag over her face appeared to have been placed there after she had been shot. Detectives said when they checked their surveillance video of the gym, they saw Collins only worked out for about five minutes, but kept going in and out of the locker room. They later found Liang's wallet, along with her IDs, passport, bank cards, and cash, in one of the locked lockers. Her cosmetic bag was also found in a locker in the locker room at the gym. Detectives said that surveillance video showed the last time Liang and Collins were at the gym was on November the 8th, and neither appeared to use the locker room. Gym staff informed the detectives that the locker was last swept on November the 13th, and any items found in the lockers would have been removed and placed into lost and found. Two weeks before the murder, detectives were called to the home after a suspicious man were, was reported in the backyard. There were no other details given during this hearing about that incident, but the prosecutor said on the day of the murder, investigators interviewed a witness who heard two individuals arguing from the direction of the home. Collins was not present during the probable cause hearing, and the magistrate stated that he was undergoing a mental health evaluation at the jail. His bond was set at $150,000, and he remains in the Harris County Jail. Prosecutors asked for a $200,000 bond, writing that the defendant murdered his wife with a firearm and then went to great lengths to make it look like she was killed by an intruder. A search of Harris County civil court records show the couple was sued in 2016 by their HOA for unpaid assessments and legal fees. And the association won a default judgment of more than $4,000 plus interest because Collins and Liang did not show up in court. Uh, there was an initial order to seize and sell the house, but it was canceled, followed by several more cancellations during the COVID-19 pandemic. However, the couple received notice on October the 29th that another sale would be scheduled for their home on November the 2nd. This is the last document that's listed in the court record for civil filings related to Harris County. Uh, so click to Houston uh, and KPRC. They contacted the pre precinct five constable's office and they were told that the sale had also been canceled because the fees had been paid. Messages left for the HOA and their attorney had not yet been returned. A review of social media sites show that Collins was an artist and his wife, who appeared to go by the nickname of Kiki, K-I-K-I, recently started businesses that offered to handle other social media profiles for businesses. Uh, residents of the neighborhoods uh, who said they knew the couple said they showed no outward signs of trouble, financial or otherwise, 
And another friend of the couple who asked not to be identified said Liang's family live overseas, but they were currently on their way to Houston. This is one of the weirdest cases because uh, this guy pretty much like laid out the prosecution's case for him and how he committed the crime, don't you think? Right, and it's a particularly heinous crime. Yeah, shooting your spouse who is from another country is one of those things that like I think well, he wasn't even mean to her. It doesn't seem like uh, this was a it was completely motivated by money. He had absolutely no love towards her at all. Um, and the proof there would be that he shot her for money. No question. And I feel like that's one of the worst ways to go out of this earth, like to be at it. I don't know. Did it say how long they were married? She was uh, 46 years old. He's 41. And, you know, you're at home with the person you trust. And she had a sleep mask on. So hopefully he killed her in her sleep and she never knew it hit her, I would hope. But regardless, it's still a completely heinous murder because you never see that coming. No, you don't. I think one of, this is one of those things that always bothers me. They were they had a uh, Instagram for their dog. Have you ever seen these people that like do yeah. the whole mm-hmm. adventure? The dog's name is Coco, and like the Instagram is Adventures of Coco. If you uh, want to check it out, uh, I was really I always when whenever like I see like happy pictures of people and then a dog in there. And one of them killed the other. I'm always so lost. It's like, how did how does that, how do you make that decision? Like, how do you? They had four dogs, right? But I was just looking at like this one that they've got like a life going on. I don't know. He's got a social media profile. You know what I mean? No, I know. Well, uh, the decision was made for the money. I can't say that like I've always been aware of it. I'm pretty sure I have, but you know, whatever, maybe at some point in my younger years, I wasn't, but there's no amount of money on earth that is worth killing someone at all. Right. And, you know, for this particular situation, $250,000. So, you know, the history, it kind of goes through real quick. You can see like they've had some issues, right? I don't know. I don't know if it's a normal thing for somebody to say, well, if, you know, my spouse would just die, I'd have their insurance money and I'd be out of this problem, right? Well, that's not the case. I'm not really sure what he was thinking. I think people severely overestimate how crimes go down typically. Yeah, it's not a Law & Order episode where there's some, like, big, crazy thing going on. Well, I think that the fact that, like, like everything, the way it played out, um, how like they had a burglary or a suspicious person call a couple weeks ahead of time. And then like uh, his wife texting him about seeing somebody suspicious, you know, at that point she was already dead, by the way, <laughs> just saying. Um, and, you know, and all that happening and the way that he said it, like, that's not how things really happen. And, you know, immediately the cops knew that. And they thought it was strange. And ultimately, you know, he ends up being charged not very long later. But so he's not going to get the money. You don't get money if you if you're the beneficiary of a person with a life insurance policy and you murder them, 
you do not get double, double indemnity from it. You get nothing. You know, that's a tricky situation, but man, these cases to me are like heartbreaking. I mean, it's just, it's sort of like, wow, she lived her entire life and tolerated how, who knows how much crap from this guy, right? As far as him not being financially stable or whatever, and then he kills her. You know, so I think about, first of all, this guy looked a little like, what's his name? Uh, the guy out of Colorado that killed his family. Christopher um, Watts? Yeah. Yeah, he reminds me of that guy a little bit, uh, Chris Watts. And from what I could tell, they had five years of social media posts that I sort of went through. So they've been together. I don't know how long they've been married, but they've been together at least five years. And I was really surprised, like, I, like hearing her and seeing, like, the little videos and stuff that she put online – I don't understand, like, where they, like, she seemed like someone who could come up with a plan, if that makes sense, to help, like, I don't, I don't know, like, I don't want to say stop it or cure it or whatever. Uh, So this guy was a vet. He's an Army veteran. That was one of the, the... big things that like stood out in the paperwork is for some reason they decided they, they need to talk about his service. Um, and everybody says, you know, he was a, uh, spent five years as a human intelligence officer from what I could tell. Uh, he had several awards. Um, he's not held a job really since then, but he was one of those people who's always got like a scam. I don't know what you call them. Like, the, like the posts look like ads, bad ads where they're like, um, you can learn how to optimize your website by doing blah, blah, blah. Just pay me whatever fee. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know, like yes. the type of post I'm talking about. So it's almost like they didn't really try. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it really is. It's like, it's um, like, I they, think that in the history of people who murder someone with the motivation of collecting a life insurance policy, you're going to find that commonality. They didn't really try like across the board. Okay. We've talked about several of these like weird ones. You've brought up a couple of other ones to me. And when I say weird ones, these are cases where people are killing their families because for some reason or another, they need money. When I see those cases, I instantly think, okay, they were lazy and they didn't want to do this. So they did this. Is that wrong? This guy literally thought I'm going to kill her. I'm going to shoot my wife while she's sleeping. And then in a couple of days, I'm going to file a claim and I'm going to end up with $250,000, which is going to solve my laziness for how long? It's not going to solve anything because no amount of money is going to solve it. It's insane. I couldn't kill anybody for any amount of money. Could you? No, I wouldn't. That's, that's not, no, I wouldn't do that. And you know, what point in time do you get to that point where you're like, well, this is my next scam. I'm going to keep the life insurance premiums paid up, lie to the cops about it. That's like, that's crazy that he lied. You know, there's like, I believe 
now don't, I mean, I could be wrong, but my understanding is there's a centralized life insurance database for just this type of thing uh, where, you know, any sort of life insurance that is, per, uh, I don't think it's purchased, but I think any sort of life insurance that is, uh, what, great, given, cashed in, uh, how, how do you say that? Issued. <laughs> well, not issued. I think it's when, like, you actually get the check. Like, not when you get the policy, but when, like, so at, dispersed. dispersed. All life insurance it. policies that end up being dispersed, there's a centralized database where authorities can look into it. So if you tell, like, so if you have a life insurance policy on your spouse and you have murdered them and you got a million dollars because you had a $500,000 policy with double indemnity and you tell the police that there was no life insurance. There, they oh, yeah, they, there is a place they can look it up. You're right. They yes. can go and see that you did collect and it's going to be suspicious. Well, he left the piece of paper laying on a desk with a recent well, like, that's early why I was, signature. So I was like, he didn't really go to great lengths to cover it up. If you get insurance on November 16th and it is, you know, the what happens that is being insured occurs on the 18th. Like that never happens ever. Okay. <laughs> There's going to be questions about that. Well, you had, so this one, I didn't like, I didn't see where a lot of this looked crazy because it, okay. She went by Kiki. Kiki paid their debts. And that's one of the things that really stood out to me when they were saying this guy went to great lengths to. I think they're being sarcastic. What do you mean? Great lengths to cover it up. Yeah, I, maybe they are being sarcastic, but the newspapers and uh, online sites seem to kind of take it seriously. I, I would say that Kiki went to great lengths to try and make her husband the man she thought he was and to cover up for whatever he was doing. And I, I have no idea, but I think it's pretty safe to say that, you know, you were talking about like, where does it become a person? Or I think I said, where does it become you know, I'm going to murder this person for money. And they were like laying in bed thinking about it. And my question is, why don't, why do they think, well, like next week I'm going to have this money and it's going to take care of my problems for two seconds. Why don't they think, well, after I do it, I'm going to go to jail. You sent me one that now this one's been covered. I'm going to mention it here. You sent me a case the other day. It was an older case uh, out of Oklahoma. Uh, this was the, uh, teenager, what's his name? Alan Ruby, I think is his name. Is that a weird last name? Do you remember that guy? This is the kid who killed his entire family for three thousand dollars. Yeah, is he the one that's been covered a lot? Yeah, he was covered quite a bit. But like, I think of cases like that, and I go, okay, this is a classic uh, reversal here because you usually ask me questions like this. Do you think if for one second, like those people could have like a little crystal ball? like the Chris Collins and the Allen Ruby cases where they could see one, they never get the money Two, they basically get caught immediately. And like his case, the, that kid's case was also one where they were like, Oh, he planned this for months. Well, you guys caught him. So I don't think he planned it very well for months. So there's that. Do you think like, if you told those people, like it's going to go poorly for you, do you think they would change their mind? Well, I don't think that. So 
the threat of potentially going to jail for something if I were to be caught does not keep me from murdering my husband. I actually don't murder him because he's, well, I wouldn't murder somebody, but I love him, right? And so it's, now, granted, while the majority of people think this way, I have to think that they think that they're not going to get caught, right? And so the threat of jail, I don't feel like comes into the equation for people who end up carrying out things like this. You know, there is no, like, the fact that you're going to go to jail for it shouldn't be the only thing that keeps you from from murdering someone. <laughs> when I, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying, would it be enough for them to know, like, if their crystal ball, like, showed how quickly they get caught? I mean, Ruby ran around for a while, and he spent his family's money. This guy, I $3,000. Yeah, that was ultimately he owed $3,000. Now, he, he forged got a bunch of checks and got more money than that. But, like, and then, like, he totally made a a complete ass out of himself in the way that he went down. He was mad because his parents had cut him off. But ultimately, I think he was maybe 19 years old. This guy's in his 40s. The outcome's the same. They both are in prison now. Um, so as far as the crystal ball situation, I don't know if it would make a difference. I'm not sure that at the point in time you think that uh, killing somebody now. This uh, the kid killed three people, right? Like his parents and his sister. sister. Yeah. Okay, and so I don't know what happens in one's life, uh, the experiences and the knowledge and the education that leads up to a point where you go, "This is a good idea," right? And I have to, and I don't think it's any one thing, right? Uh, that really does it. We covered. Um, a couple of cases where basically DL and Bella killed Sandy Dial for an insurance policy she had take she had pretended to be her and taken out, and then we had uh, Monica Patterson. She, I she didn't take out insurance; she just stole everything and then killed Martin. Right? Correct. Those were cases where Sandy and DL and were friends, and then. Monica was essentially a stranger who became a like a best friend, but it was fake, right? Yeah. Um, and then in this case, this is a husband and a wife, and I've not seen how long they were married. I don't know the circumstances. You were saying that they have at least five years of like of being together on social media, right? So they they've got a substantial relationship here. Correct. I would be curious, you know, if I could ask him questions, like just as the person I am and having nothing to do with like his prosecution or like, you know, what was going to happen to him. I'd want to know like, well, was this your intention all along? Right. Uh, Okay. Like, what do you mean all along? Well, I mean, did he get married with the idea that he needed to marry somebody that was disposable? And if not, what? And I mean, if so, why didn't he get the million dollar policy? I'm serious when I say that because he really, because you're killing somebody. I I understand what you're saying, but like, I'm not encouraging anybody to do that. It just really irks me when they 
I mean, he could, he, he even aimed low in that situation. Well, I mean, that's an interesting perspective on it, and it's not wholly inaccurate. But this is one of the things that shocked me. So with with the Ruby case, and like that case is covered everywhere. If you want to look at American Greed has coverage of it, uh, they cover it in terms of like comparing it to the Menendez brothers. There's so the Ruby case, he gets life sentences. He was basically denied bail from the jump. And I I don't remember exactly how that case went down, but I remember that like they were charging him and trying him on like, you know, credit card fraud and maybe like a theft of services fraud for like using checks that weren't his. But with Christopher Collins, what's interesting is he's only charged with second degree murder right now. And he has $150,000 bail that he could, get out with i know he can't because of his situation but what's really the difference there in terms of those bails like what what happens there where one is denied and the other isn't well i think that um it is essentially denied i think that um it's not denied because that causes like such a ruckus constitutionally sometimes right Right. Uh, the, because, you know, you have the right to uh, attempt to bail yourself out. And so I think that they knew this dude had absolutely no way of, you know, getting together. Because $150,000, even if you get a bail bondsman, that's going to be, what, fifteen grand. Uh, it depends on the jurisdiction, but, yeah, it's going to be a lot of money. It's gonna be and, you know, so in the meantime, they've probably seen he doesn't, own property. I mean, he, the house, but it's probably mortgaged to the hilt based on the, them not paying the homeowners association fees and all that stuff. Okay. And so, you know, his car was repossessed because he had no money. He's not going to be cashing in this insurance policy. So it's my, it's my hope. It's my, (laughs) I don't know, but it's my hope that they realize, look, this dude isn't going to be able to come up with a hundred dollars to get themselves out of jail. Right. Right. And there are people like that. I mean, sadly. And, you know, some people sit in jail for things that I don't necessarily feel like they should be sitting in jail for. But in the case of a murder situation, um, I, I, 150000 is a little lenient. But like I said, I feel like it was, the, as far as they were concerned, it was the same thing as him getting no bail. Because he just wasn't going to get out. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that, that would make sense i think that that is is, uh, essentially he's not uh able to bond out if he's not able to do those other things i just you know i don't i look at these cases and i really want to make it make sense for myself like the the way that they try these people the way that they um like i want to think that there's some equality well, I think the second degree murder charge, I think it's just they played the scenario out like if it was in the heat of passion and which if she was asleep, that's probably not possible. But like in the heat of passion and then like the cover up was like an afterthought because that would naturally not lead to premeditation because no matter what you do after you've killed somebody, that's not premeditating the murder, right? That's covering up the murder. And so, you know, they emphasize that he went to great lengths to cover it up, which leads 
uh, one to think, and you know, the neighbor's statement was that people were arguing. Wasn't yeah. that this case? Yeah. 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 Okay. And so because of that, if somebody's arguing with somebody else, uh, more than likely it could very well be second degree murder in that. Now the insurance policy negates that for me. That's what I'm saying though. They just signed that insurance policy two days ago. Well, they ago. can upgrade the charges. I mean, it, it doesn't, I mean, it is possible that, you know, it's coincidental, but I doubt it. I mean, if he like, if, if the insurance policy didn't play in his mind as part of what he was doing, I don't think that's the case. I think that he, his entire motive was getting that insurance policy just based on the circumstances surrounding her death. Okay. (sighs) And, you know, it's terrible because let's say that he, you know, the perpetrator, the unknown perpetrator theory had held water for whatever reason and he had collected that money. Well, then what? I mean, he's he he's like barely scraping by. He killed his wife. I mean, come on, two hundred and fifty grand. It's is nothing. That, isn't that crazy? <laughs> I mean, it's beyond my comprehension. Now, uh, the other kid that. Uh, it's funny. I, I read about that kid, but then you're like, oh, everybody's covered him. So I like stopped reading about it. But like he wanted $3,000 and he had to pay it to a loan shark that he had originally borrowed less than that from. But because of the way it went down, he was now. So uh, I know. Where, where do you think that point of view comes into play? So I wonder if it's not where. You know, because money is something that everybody learns about and you develop thoughts and opinions on it based on your experiences and based on maybe like the way you grew up, right? Yeah. Okay. And so it's actually, you know, you teach your children about money and about the economy and about like what matters versus what doesn't matter or whatever, right? And I feel like in some of these situations, the the stress of how important money was might have been a little bit too much. Yeah. Like in this kid's case, you know, he you said he owed a loan shark $3,000. And I don't know. Do you have any idea if he went to his parents and explained the situation? He was cut off. They did not want anything else to do with him. And they had cut him off from money and told him to stick to school and pay attention to what he was doing. Okay. And so see, and that, and I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that either. I mean, I, it sounds like he was making really poor decisions. Oh, I would agree but that, that was the case. Yeah. Don't you have to wonder, like, like if you know my child was doing something like that, I'd be very surprised. But I would say, well, you know, this is partially my fault. <laughs> I need to figure out what's going on here um, because you know the interpretation of that. I mean, kids have their own mind, but it's influenced by stuff, right? And a I have to think that, it, and, and this is not taking the blame away from him because he's absolutely responsible for this, but like, how do you raise a 19-year-old kid who goes, I need $3,000 for a loan shark. Let me kill my entire family. Not well. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you have to wonder, like, how do you get to that point? And it 
it's, it's very sad to me that, you know, it ends up being that way. And I think that we've talked about that there's basically only three motives for murder, right? And unless you're talking about a serial killer and, you know, the motives are love, money, and revenge. That's it. Every single murder for all time, forever, that's ever happened in the course of just normal murders, they're going to tie back to one of those motives. And I guess this is our money segment, (laughs) which is the worst. Um, Because I feel like it's so uh, shallow. At least when you're looking at like love or revenge, it's more like passionate and feelings are involved, right? I would tend to agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, when money is the motive and I mean, cause who's, who would it not be their worst nightmare for their husband to shoot them or their wife to shoot them for the sole purpose of collecting insurance money? Uh, apparently not that many people because just, so it's April that we're talking about this. So we have three trials going on right now that are all these life insurance policy trials. So you have Nancy Brophy. Have you heard of her? No. She's out of Monoltman County up in uh, uh, Portland. She's uh, up for the death of her husband, who was uh, Chef Daniel Brophy. She's accused of shooting him in the back as he was getting ready to go for uh, go to work. Uh, June 2nd of 2018. Hers is a first-degree murder case. Uh, She's a romance novelist, by the way. But uh, the motive there is Daniel had a $1.4 million life insurance policy. And on top of that, she would also uh, benefit from a pretty big workers' compensation plan that he had as a chef. And they had a lot of equity in their home. She basically followed him, uh, like his schedule, and like his vehicle was over where he works. He worked at a culinary institute up there, um, but he was found shot in the back, and he had not been robbed. The defense is arguing in that case that she has no reason to kill her husband, and she has suffered both financially and emotionally. But she's also. Uh, seeming like she's batshit crazy. I'm, I'm just. Is that the case that she actually self published a book yep. by that how, name? How to murder your husband. Yeah, so that's a really bad idea. To, I don't know if it was before or after, but you're, you're not going to want to actually publish a book when your husband has been murdered. That's called how to murder your husband. It's a it's a bad idea. Yeah, so that's one of the cases that's going on right now is uh, uh, Daniel Brophy. So how did, when you talk about this stuff, do you prefer to refer to them as uh, the case being about the victim? And the like, would this be the Daniel Brophy trial or the Daniel Brophy case? No, I, I typically refer to the defendant. I, I do actually have, <laughs> I have like a skewed opinion on that because I feel like, I feel like the the justice part of it, uh, you know, in some ways you're uh, exalting the perpetrator, the defendant, right? When it really should be about the victim. But like in this case, if you're going to say the victim's name, it needs to be like the murder of Daniel Brophy, right? Okay. 
Or, or you could say the trial of what Nancy was Brophy. The, the trial of Nancy Brophy, you know, or the trial of the murder of Daniel Brophy. So, uh, I mean, I know that that's probably getting down to semantics there, but if you, if you, now everybody's going to notice because if you pay attention to that, there, it's not really uniform. Have you noticed that? It's not very uniform. The, the majority of the time, the defendant is who's named, or you know, the victim is who's named. But that's how it's known as the trial, right? So the other trial is the trial of a man named Bob Feldman, which is the case of the murder of Stacy Feldman, his wife, and this is in Denver. This guy is accused of killing his wife in 2015. Uh, originally, uh, her March 1st, 2015 death was classified as undetermined, but an outside expert that was brought in by the Denver police and prosecutors concluded she'd been strangled or suffocated. So in 2018, her husband, uh, Bob Feldman, Robert W. Feldman, was uh, charged with her murder. He had told authorities he found his wife unresponsive in the bathtub. Uh, he faces a single count of first-degree murder after deliberation. So, you know, again, we have these different ways that, that people do this. Uh, charging, this particular case is also an insurance policy case. He's been confronted with people that he allegedly had affairs with. Um, the motive is that uh, basically... He wanted whatever insurance and their estate to go to him and wanted her out of the way so he could continue these affairs. He used $550,000 of his wife's life insurance policy to hire a high-priced criminal defense attorney. Now, that's another thing that is really annoying when you spend what you killed for on your defense. Yeah. Well, now granted, so, he collected the policy, so he, he collected on it, and which is kind of rare. Yeah. So this um, this case had guardians appointed for the couple's children, and somehow some of this money got confiscated. It's very complicated to follow through the Denver courts. I've been trying to. In 2019, an appeals court ruled that the objections had occurred too late for the payment to the lawyer. So they restored the court restored the money to the lawyer. It's so this life insurance policy money went to Bob Feldman, Bob Feldman paid a lawyer. And then it was confiscated by guardians for the couple's children based on essentially their family objecting the people who are the now uh, guardians of the children. It's been the craziest thing. He has rented out his pool and got cited for violations of, um, the uh, pandemic policies in uh, July of 2020 and in uh, April of 2021, his lawyer and the state went back into court over reports that he had been allegedly abusing like the few privileges he was allowed under the provisions of his house arrest, house arrest because he's been on house arrest since 2018. He'd been going on long bike rides uh, that violated the terms of his bond. Uh, he'd also, you know, done some weird things related to going to church. You know, you'd think like if somebody says I'm going to church, that they're going because they want to be a church member. But this guy was going from the perspective that he wanted to get out of the house more. He didn't really have anything to do with uh, church ahead of time. And in June of 2021, there was a judge uh, facing a, a request by his attorneys to return to work pending his murder trial. He wanted to go back to work. Uh, and they also 
uh, one of the local affiliates out in Denver at KUSA, according to KUSA and to Oxygen, they had been going on tender and they had found Feldman's pictures and details of his life on Tinder on different dating apps, including Tinder, while he was under house arrest, he listed himself as recently widowed. Yeah. So this was one of those where they like, so what the defense says, this is going on right now. What the defense there is, is they're saying it was a natural death. It just looked crazy. Uh, but in October, 2017 prosecutors got a second opinion from the undetermined really because they were just trying to, get an idea of what happened to her. They didn't want to leave it as just open and undetermined. They, it was weird. They had the idea from all the statements that Bob had made that possibly she had consumed edible cannabis or, you know, like weed brownies or gummies. And that maybe she had, had died by uh, drowning in the tub or something. Like they couldn't tell what had gone on with her. This second opinion came from a guy named Dr. William Smock. He's considered to be an expert on domestic violence strangulation. And Smock determined based on photographs and autopsy reports that Stacey Feldman had been strangled, likely while someone kneeled on her shoulders, pinning her down. And Bob Feldman was arrested and charged based on that on February 16, 2018. And then he was released on a maximum supervision house arrest condition with a million-dollar bond. I like when people do stuff like this and like, okay. So first of all, if, if you're a good defense attorney, you should be tearing apart these people that like have examined pictures and come up with like a whole new idea from the autopsy report. Like that's really something that should have been done right away. So they could examine the body, not pictures. And I wonder how much pressure was put on them. Oh, it's the same. We've talked about this in, in other cases, even Ellen Greenberg, there's a pressure for somebody to come in and like contradict or like have a specialty. But listen to this. You hire an expert in domestic violence, homicide strangulations. Do you think that he's going to come back and report that she died from a drowning by ed- edible cannabis toxicity? No, he's going to come back and say it's a domestic violence strangulation. That's what you're paying him to say. Right. And uh, I feel like it's more of a failure of the investigators than it does. I mean, the outside expert that's brought in. So one of the other things is it's like he's come up, this guy's come up recently, uh, William Smock has, and he's ha- he's got a lot of notoriety right now. He's technically the only police surgeon in the entire United States, and he his face shows up in every damn thing. He works for the Louisville, Kentucky Police Department, but where he's most recently come up was he was in the headlines as an expert witness in the Derek Chauvin murder trial of the victim, George Floyd. So he's one of those guys, like, you know, he swore that, like, Floyd died of positional asphyxia, which we, you know, that was pretty obvious to most of us, I think. Um, He also was in on the reconstruction of the Breonna Taylor case where he was reconstructing injuries that had happened to a guy named Sergeant uh, Mattingly to determine where bullets had come from. This is the guy that got struck in the leg. Yeah. So, you know, he is sort of one of a kind and you know what I think of like one of a kind things like they're as valuable as what you're paying for. Um, but they, they really did bring him in to say 
this is a strangulation. And I know that those incidents I'm talking about were ahead of that happening. He has like hours and hours on YouTube talking about strangulation prevention. If you are in a situation where you have implored like my one and only rule, which would be to keep your hands off one another, you don't have to be worried about being strangled because that in- requires someone putting their hands on you. Yeah, it's it's super hard to look at these experts that say the same things over and over again and go, okay, well, that seems to come from an objective, credible place. But prevention of strangulation techniques, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. You know, it is interesting when people like that show up in cases. That would, at this point, that would be about. I have some respect for him because, like, he was an emergency medicine physician, and he did see. In addition to his forensic work, he did see a lot of um, domestic violence taking place. But my problem with those people is it becomes like Cyril Wecht. You know, like that guy is like Mr. Murder. Like basically if no one else will say it's murder, you call Cyril. And Cyril will come and he will tell you that it was murder. It was most definitely murder. doesn't matter if it was murder. He will tell you that it was murder. Don't you think they're like in this particular case where, you know, this guy has, I wasn't entirely sure. She was in the bathtub. Is that? Yeah. So Stacey Feldman was in a bathtub and they, the coroner ruled it as a uh, undetermined death. Great. And uh, how old was she? I want to say, so he, I think is 58. This is now seven years ago. So I think she would have been like, 50-ish. And, you know, so that's sort of border. I mean, it's young, but it is borderline for some sort of, like, uh, weird help thing, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I feel like there are little indications that occur, um, for example, like with this life insurance money that has come into play. Yeah. If you got two, well, I don't know how old their children are, but they needed guardians, so they weren't adults, right? The natural thing to do if your spouse has passed away and you inherited uh, or you've uh, collected this life insurance money would be to set a trust up for your children. And so I feel like that, you know, little, and now while not setting a trust up for them doesn't indicate murder, it does make, it, it is weird, right? Yeah. Okay. So this is one of those cases that has like a full arrest affidavit. Do you want to hear more about this case? Like, do you want cause I'll tell you more like right now I have it all set up. Sure. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I, was, I, I, I don't I know anything about it, so sure. Okay, I didn't bring it up with you before. It just sort of falls into this because it's a live trial about an insurance policy. Right. Even though technically it's not like an insurance policy. It's an eight-page arrest affidavit. It's uh, from, I just want to make sure I say the dates correctly. This is going to be from February of 2018. I, Randall Dennison, it's got his badge number. It states under oath that the facts known to this affiant, uh, which established probable, probable cause to believe that a criminal offense was committed, and the offense was uh, committed by the person who is above named, and that is Robert Wayne Feldman, uh, and it's got all his particulars. So it says on Sunday, March 1st, 2015, uh, the affiant was assigned to investigate the death of Stacy Feldman, date of birth, 1970. Um, so she's six, six years younger than him. Okay. 
when she, so she died in 2015, born in 1970. She been 45. 45 yeah. yeah. She was reportedly discovered deceased in a shower at her residence. That makes her on the really low end of something yeah. weird medical happening. Like it's almost probably not that. Yeah. Well, I would say that like weird medical can still happen. It but could. weird medical happening at that age is more obvious. It's not going to be like a 90 some year old, you know, dying. 45 is, is fairly young. Yeah. So um, he gets contacted to respond to the situation by his homicide unit supervisor at 4.10 p.m. He observed that at the time, the outside temperature was very cold with new snow on the ground from the previous dry, for the previous day and icy conditions on the roads. Um, he met there with police officer Tara Moxon at that lo- at the it has got the home location. I learned that Denver Fire and paramedics had responded to the location, and that Stacy Feldman had been pronounced deceased on that date uh, at three fifty six p.m. by Doctor Renault of uh, Denver Health Medical Center. Officer Moxon advised that the deceased female was in the master bedroom on the second floor. When officers arrived on the scene, they had to escort Robert Feldman from the room that his wife was located because he was interfering with the paramedics. Officer Moxon said that he'd spoken to Robert Feldman and he told her that he and his wife had gone to a party the previous night and that she consumed edible marijuana and not had been feeling well had not been feeling well the next morning. Robert Feldman told her that he left the house around 8:30 a.m. to uh, take their children to a church carnival and returned home about 3 p.m. and found his wife unresponsive in the shower with the water running. Um, we've learned that Stacy Feldman's parents were at the residence along with an uncle and two members of the clergy. Uh, I also observed the Denver police officer outside the door of the master bedroom on the second floor to prevent unauthorized entrance. I personally spoke with Robert Feldman. Robert Feldman said that his wife, Stacy had a history of medical problems and takes medications he said the previous night she had consumed some edible marijuana prior to going to a party. She had consumed alcohol at the party. When they returned home, she had consumed more edible marijuana, but he did not see or know the amount. He said they left the house in the morning, gone to a church carnival with the children, returned home at 3 p.m., found his wife in the bathtub with a shower running and the water was cold. He said he could not uh, see if she was face up or face down. He pulled her out of the tub onto the floor and he called 911. His children were with him, so he instructed them to go to the neighbor's house. They, uh, I observed that Robert Feldman appeared to be acting as if shocked or confused. And when asked, he said he could not remember details of how he found his wife. At one point, he walked away as if he was confused, giving the impression he was uh, overacting in an effort to avoid speaking with him. So basically, he's trying to not talk to the cops. So he's pretending this is something that I, I don't really agree with making these decisions, but fine. I mean, that's, that's what he says. Uh, personnel from the Denver police department crime lab and the crime scene unit responded to the scene. The scene was documented and photographs uh, and measurements were taken. I observed the deceased female lying on her back on the floor of the master bedroom. She was naked with a towel covering her uh, lower body. Her hair appeared to be wet. And I observed equipment and related supplies from an attempted medical resuscitation. I also observed that one window and the sliding glass door in the master bedroom were open. The uh, balcony was covered with snow. There was no footprints or other disturbance in the snow. Sound familiar? Yeah. I'm just waiting for them to say she was taking Zoloft. There was no signs of forced entry. Um, I, I did not observe any signs of forced entry around the residence or any sign of a struggle or a fight. 
I did observe the bathroom attached to the master bedroom was equipped with what appeared to be a standard-sized jetted bathtub with a shower head and sliding doors with towel racks on the doors. There is a towel neatly hung on the shower deck, shower door rack. There was no standing water in the bathtub. Uh, there was a washcloth in the bathtub covering the drain that appeared to be wet. There was one metal rack from the corner shelf and uh, bottles of personal hygiene items. Uh, that gave, They were on the floor of the bathtub, giving the appearance, appearance that the shelf rack and its contents had been knocked down. I did not observe any other signs of what might have been the result of a fight or an assault. Um, there's another investigator at the scene. His name is T.C. Whitley. He, uh, I was present when T.C. Whitley conducted an initial, an initial external examination of Stacey Feldman. She had some abrasion and contusion type injuries that we noted. None that appeared significant enough to have caused her death. Uh, her body was then transported to the Denver office of the medical examiner. I was present when investigator Whitley spoke with Robert Feldman and asked what position he uh, found his wife in. Robert Feldman said he could not remember. He walked away from the investigators, and then he said that he did not want an autopsy to be conducted on his wife. Of course not. Monday, March 2nd, 9.40 a.m., I personally attended the postmortem examination at the Denver office of the medical examiner. It was conducted by Dr. Kelly Kobolanski and Dr. Meredith Frank. Observed numerous injuries on the body. After the completion of the internal examination portion of the autopsy, I spoke with the doctors. Uh, Dr. Kobylanski said she had not observed any internal injuries indicating the cause of death and that results of the testing would be required to help establish a cause of death. On March 13, 2015, uh, I spoke with Stacy Feldman's sister by telephone, and she said she had spoken to Bob Feldman that he told her Stacy's death had been ruled an accident. Bob told the physician that Stacy had slipped on conditioner and drowned. Um, the sister said that the director of the children's school had called Bob when there was no one there to pick up the children and said that Bob had told other family members he had gone home at noon to walk their dog. An anonymous letter arrived on March 24, 2015 by the U.S. Postal Service expressing a list of concerns of the by an unidentified author about the inconsist inconsistent stories regarding Stacey Feldman's death. The letter says the author learned Stacey had texted an unidentified friend about meeting at the temple at noon and that the religious temple school had been calling to ask why children had not been picked up. On May 4th, uh, I spoke with uh, the doctor from the autopsy about the autopsy report uh, and it, it was indicated by Dr. Kobolanski that the autopsy report was completed that day. They were unable to determine the, either the cause or the manner of Stacey Feldman's death. May 14th, 2015, at approximately 9.30 a.m., I received a phone call from Robert Feldman. He said he had last talked to Stacey about 8.30 a.m. on the day she died, told him she was tired. He said she was sleeping when, when he left. He had gone to the Temple Sinai, and they had a service for the opening of the new school. He said they were there until about 9.30 or 10 a.m. He came home about noon, went to the park. He worked out. He said he was only home for about 10 minutes. He changed clothes in the laundry room. Never heard Stacy. Uh, called out but got no response. He said he didn't hear any water running, and he would have known if the shower was running. He had cleaned the garage before going out to work because the shelf had fallen. He said he had seen Stacy consume edible marijuana. 
and told him that she was going to take some or smoke some when she got home, but he didn't witness her use any there. And he denied any involvement by phone in the wife's death. So then he goes into researching uh, the crew and researching the distance to the school and to the carnival. Um, he checks in with Crime Stoppers, and someone calls in the Crime Stoppers. And this is where it gets sort of interesting. The firefighters all say that they feel like the husband was dramatic. That's why they had called the cops anyways. Otherwise, it would have just been... Now, think about this for a second. It would have just been a medical call. Well, that tells you something right there. So it would have just been a medical call, except he got in the way, so they called the cops. So that cop got to the scene, and she called into her supervisor, who called over to Homicide, who sent this guy. And this is the arresting detective, by the way, that I'm going through this. On June 11th, the Denver Police Department got information through a telephone call to Metro Denver Crime Stoppers. A female caller reported that in February of 2015, she had met Bob Feldman online. Feldman had visited her, visited her at her house and then blew her off the next day. So basically, he came over for a booty call, and the next day, he didn't call. She researched him, learned his wife was Stacy Feldman, and she located an email address. She emailed Stacy Feldman on March 1st, 2015, after which Stacy Feldman called her. She told Stacy about the affair. So that's the same day she died. Yeah. So on June 12th, uh, he personally goes and interviews the this person. And she said she met him as uh, Bob Feldman on Tinder, which is an online dating site. They communicated through the messaging application part of Tinder and switched to communicating by email and phone text messages. That Bob told her that he was an employer of wholesale meat products. Uh, he was divorced. They met in person for coffee on February 23rd. She was suspicious and later researched him, learned his um, last name, I think he, she, there might be an alias they're blocking out here, but apparently she learned his real name and that it appeared that Stacy and Bob lived at the same address. When she confronted uh, Bob Feldman with his information, he said that they were divorced and they alternate staying at the house for the children's sake. By the way, that's always the bullshit that people use uh, because they could not afford two homes. On March 26th, 2015, Bob came to her house and she made him dinner. And they had sex. And then they planned to spend time together this weekend. Also, that's the thing that married people do. They're always making plans when they're cheating that they can never fulfill. When she contacted him, he told her he would not be able to meet with her. And she thought that she was being blown off. So at that point, she contacted his wife. And it goes into detail. Stacy said that Bob had cheated on her before. They talked on the phone for a while. She didn't want to continue. Uh, Stacy didn't want to continue talking with this woman. But... At that point, he wraps it all up, he writes it all up, and he turns around, um, and that becomes the basis for him asking for more information about what happened in his death. Like, that's the driving force is, like, he doesn't want to leave it. I, I don't think that there's any way that the day that the woman that he had the affair with called his wife, that she died from some weird bizarre medical condition no and they so then you know 
the rest of 2015 in this affidavit is really about like the money. Um, Stacy Feldman's sister is the one who gets involved with the kids and like trying to intercept the life insurance money to make sure that like some of it goes towards the kids, which that behavior alone is sort of proof of what they think of Bob. In October of 2017, uh, Chief Deputy District Attorney gets with this affiant here. They put together this whole plan where they lay out the medical process of how someone could have been strangled to death. And this is how that reads. And they black his name out, but we know his name, so I'm going to say it. On Tuesday, October 24, 2017, I and Chief Deputy District Attorney Maggie uh, Convoy met with Dr. Spock, a nationally recognized expert in domestic violence-related strangulation and suffocation injuries. Uh, He's also a medical director. I think at the time it would have been Louisville Metro, but it's blacked out on here. Dr. Smock had previously reviewed the autopsy report on Stacey Feldman, and Smock reviewed photographs of Stacey Feldman taken at the scene and during the autopsy. The doctor uh, said, based on the preliminary reviews, he believed that Stacey Feldman's cause of death was strangulation or suffocation, and the manner would be homicide. Dr. Smock agreed to further review the autopsy report uh, and photographs and to provide a written opinion on the cause and manner of death. He provided that on December 22nd of 2017, so... He says she died as a direct result of asphyxia or suffocation. Her injuries are the result of an assault, which included blunt force, trauma, strangulation, and suffocation. Dr. Schmock noted numerous injuries, including bilateral uh, scleral and conjunctival uh, hemorrhages, venous congestion of the eyes bilaterally, venous congestion of the face and neck, uh, interaural contusions and abrasion on the right lower lip, bilateral parietal subgeal hemorrhages, bilateral uh, occipital um, subgeal hemorrhages and multiple areas of facial blunt force trauma and extensive contusions of the medical on the medial aspect of the upper extremities consistent with knee pressure being applied for from a straddled assailant to base his opinion on so this is now going this is so this is going to trial it's going to trial on the basis that this guy throttled his wife and that goes she found out he was cheating she was sick of his shit. He was on his last chance. And when he confronted, when he, when she confronted him, uh, it resulted in basically him beating her to the floor and putting his knees on her, either in the shower or close to the shower, and then dumping her in there. He did it all for about a million dollars in life insurance and a booty call on Tinder. People are just bad, man. It's, it's truly terrible. Yeah, I can't. So, I mean, do we want to... I don't understand, like, what the thought process is here with the children. I mean, hello. I don't even know what to say about that. I, you know, it's interesting because as generations go by, it seems to me like, uh, like my parents, they had kids because, like, that's what you did. You got married and you had kids, right? Yeah. And and you know these people are um they're older than I am and you are and so maybe he just thought that's what you did right you got married you had kids but like you should actually want your kids and you should like want them to have you should put them in front of it before your self interest right like for example killing their mother because you cheated on her like, it should actually register, like, oh, wait, this is my my children's mother. I shouldn't do this. The fact that we're, like, spelling that out for people is crazy. Well, I mean, 
if nothing else, if nothing else keeps you from getting the insurance money and killing your wife, that should keep, am I, I don't feel like I'm wrong there. I feel like, you know, you go above and beyond what you, a normal human would do when it comes to children. And it just, it's crazy to me that I feel like that should like back everybody down. Like no matter what's <laughs> happening, you should be able to go, wait, we can't do this. We have kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And you know, I guess you know, it's covering these cases has done one really good thing for me. I'm always going to question everything about life insurance ever, including like, like I don't even know if I'll let my wife take a policy out on me now. I mean, what, I wouldn't want to have anybody kill me. I would, um, <laughs> my, my suggestion would be to anybody that, you know, cause life insurance is not required by law or anything like, you know, auto insurances or whatever. I would say that if you want life insurance that you take whatever your premium would be and you just have it automatically deducted from your checking account and go into a savings account and your life insurance is now that savings account. <laughs> Because that keeps it nice and balanced. (laughs) Because what a lot of people don't realize is like when you're young, 30s and 40s, you get these life insurance policies that are like literally voided after a certain age. And so you never collect on them. Yeah, I I mean, I guess in some situations it would pay off uh, and be you know, if that if you want to have life insurance on somebody, that's fine. But I, I do feel like it should be up to. Like if I wanted life insurance for my family, I should be the one that goes and gets the policy and says, I want this to go to my husband and my child or whatever, right? I don't feel like that should be a decision made by other people. Thank you for joining us. We are sponsored by LabratiCreations.com. You can check them out at LabratiCreations.com and you can still use the code CRIMEXS for a fun pop pet portrait of your own pet. You can also reach us on Twitter, Instagram, at TrueCrimeXS, or you can give us a call if you know anything about any of the cases that we're talking about at 252-365-5593. You can also reach us at Gmail at TrueCrimeXS at gmail.com, and you can check out our website at www.TrueCrimeXS.com. We'll see you next time.
the this has been more of a laid back approach to things. We have a couple of episodes, one we've already recorded, and one we're gonna be recording that are gonna be dropping soon. That are gonna be a little bit heavier material, um, although. Well, one the material is laid back, but it's not light. That's for sure. Yeah, I guess formatting is a little lighter. Uh, yeah, we'll get to those shortly. These are some of the worst uh, cases that we've ever covered, really, in my opinion. I mean, There's some diabolical people, man. Because really it's, it's like people. you have to go beyond just like being aggravated and losing your temper or whatever. And you've got to actually make a plan here. Well, I really went back to cover like Chris Collins and uh, brought up Bob Feldman. Uh, I brought those cases up and, and I even brought up uh, uh, Rupi, Harupi, uh, because I felt like we were getting a little like woman killing for life insurance heavy when we were talking about Patterson and uh, uh, the Ellen Bella. Uh, 